Blog Talk Radio. Jean-Luc Jordy Specs, mysteries on the holodeck, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids, transporter, deadly claw, visitor from L.A. law, photons, no Kirk, captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Wyke is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Trek Talking and Beyond. I'm your very cold host up here in Vermont, Uncle Jim. We've got some snow, we've got some wind, it's very dark, but it's winter, and that's what you get up here in New England. You get cold, you get snow, and you deal with it. Uh, We have a really great show planned for you guys tonight. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Sanctuary, the episode directed by the one and only Jonathan Frakes. So if you guys would like to call and share your thoughts on that episode, our phone number, as always, is 646-668-2433. But wait, that's not all. You also get the Ginsu. It slices, it dices, it chops. No, anyways, we're also going to be talking about the Mandalorian um, tragedy Beatles song. No, not Beatles, the Bee Gees song. And uh, some interesting things. So you guys want to uh, hang out with us for the next couple hours. We're going to have a lot of fun. But first, I have to introduce my most awesome co-host, and we'll start off with Charles. He's out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. No snow, just mild weather here, a few clouds, but still can't find any of that rain. Rain, rain, rain. And uh, we also have with us Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing good. We have kind of standard winter weather here in Portland, 40 degrees and raining. So I'm sitting next to my little heater with a warm drink. Ready to snuggle in and talk about some Trek. Do and some Trek talking. So listen, guys, we've been doing the show for and a couple of years, and um, <laughs> the show isn't free. We have to pay to have this phone line, and we were just talking about this a little bit before the show. We could really use your help. I know it's tight out there with this COVID going on and everything, but, you know, we have a lot of followers. We have a lot of listeners, and all it really takes is a dollar and a dream. So if you can head over to patreon.com backslash Trek talking and uh, just throw a dollar a month our way, we have other tiers as well, but any little bit helps. If a lot of people throw in a little bit, it turns into a lot. And there's a lot of things we like to do. We have a lot of gifts, a lot of ideas that we like to do for you guys, our fans to show you our appreciation, but it all costs money. So if you could head over to patreon.com backslash Trek talking and help us out in any way you can, we would really appreciate it. Speaking of fans, believe it or not, we broke 24,000 followers on our Facebook page. I think we just broke 23,000 last week or the week before. Yep. Um, yeah, it's so, been less than two weeks for sure. Yeah, so that's 500 followers a week. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much to each and every one of you guys 
for supporting our Facebook page. If you're listening to us and you'd like to support our Facebook page, you can go to facebook.com backslash Trek Talking and A-N-D beyond. Spell that all out, Trek Talking and beyond. Give us a like, give us a follow, and uh, you'll never miss a show. You'll never miss an update. And you'll be able to be mentioned in our shout-outs when we get to those. So please keep that in mind. One thing I want to say, which I've been saying for a couple of weeks now, is that Star Trek Discovery Season 4 has started production up in Canada. So Season 4 is way. So we'll get that out of the way. And now we're going to go for our numbers around the globe. And for that, we turn to Eric. Take us away, Eric. You bet, Jim. Well, this week, as always, we've got approximately 76% of our listeners in the United States, but we like to talk about our international crowd. So holding on to that number one spot is Australia with 4.72% of our listeners, which is just about even uh, with where they were last week. They've been in that number one slot for, I think, many months at this point. Um, So thank you so much to all of our listeners down under. We love to have you along for the ride. This week we have the UK holding on to that number two spot with 4.00% of our listeners. Um, Down just a skosh from last week, but uh, it's nice to know that we have tons of folks supporting us on the island as well, just across the pond. Uh, Speaking about uh, just across the pond and uh, part of sort of the same part of the world, Ireland in our number three spot with 3.12% of our listeners. So if you add up the UK and Ireland, you got... Yeah, 7% of our listeners right there in that little part of the world. Thank you guys so much for hanging on with us and coming along for the ride. In our number four spot, uh, came out of nowhere a few months ago, still holding on, and I swear this number keeps going up every single week, 2.74% of our listeners for Norway. Thank you very much to our listeners from Scandinavia. And in that number five spot, uh, holding on just a little bit, but actually a few more listeners than last week, Canada with 2.3% of our listeners. So thank you to all of our listeners, both international and domestic. We really appreciate you guys. Couldn't do it without you. Right, Jim? Couldn't do it without you. That's right. And just to show you guys how much we appreciate you, as I said earlier, if you follow us on Facebook, you tell us where you're from. Every week I pick 15 lucky fans, and we give you a shout-out by name and and location if you leave it on our Facebook page. And if you see a little heart from Truck Talking next to your name, that means you're one of the lucky fans and you're going to be uh, highlighted in our individual fan shout-outs. Now, these are different from the numbers around the globe. These are individual people in individual places that aren't necessarily from the five countries that were listed before. So, Eric, you want to start us off with our individual fan shout-out? Well, I sure do, and our very – First fan shout-out this week goes to Bob Arthur from Columbus, Indiana, in the good old U of a, uh, U.S. of A. right here. I've been to Columbus. I've been to your town. I've been to that lovely convention center you have there, to the gaming conventions. Uh, it's a great town. Love Columbus. So thanks, Bob, for listening to us. Also, we're giving a big shout-out and thank you this week to Sue Primer from Hampshire, England, one of those U.K. listeners of ours. Thank you so much, Sue, for listening to us. Ilanka Liska comes from Ulich in Germany. Ilanka, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Go out and tell your friends about us. We want to get Germany in the top five too, okay? <laughs> uh, hello and thank you this week to Michael Richardson, 
who is from near Cincinnati, another uh, Ohio uh, person. Uh, uh, so thank you so much, Michael, for listening to us. And also thank you this week to Eric Raleigh Rawlinson from Telford in Shropshire. Charles, who else is listening to us this week? Well, we got Chris Johnson from Ontario, Canada. We got Linda Bennett from Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Anthony Williams, and I think it's, I'm not sure, Linda or Anthony is one of our top fans. And Anthony is from Jersey and Channel Island. Dolly Joe from Wisconsin, USA. Ah, Hello, Wisconsin. Back in my early years. <laughs> and Sue Haynes from Cambridge, UK. Tim, what about you? Well, you know, whenever when we were talking earlier about uh, near Cincinnati, I always think of WKRP in Cincinnati. I'm living on the mm-hmm. air, WKRP, one of my favorite shows back in the 70s, because I'm old, so I remember that. Story. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay, here. So um, we want to send a shout-out to our top fan, Mary Stefani, who's listening in Chicago, Illinois. Thanks for listening, Mary. We really appreciate it. Um, Colleen Rhodes from Sassburg, Pennsylvania. Thanks for listening, Colleen. And our top fan, Annika Stein from Germany. We got a lot of Germans in the in the list here tonight. That's awesome, awesome, awesome. I would like to give a huge shout out to William Torres from Woodstock, Georgia. And finally, last but not least, we like to say huge, huge hello and kapla to Sean McCaffrey from South Wales in the UK. Thank you so much to listening, guys. We we really when we say we couldn't do the show without you guys, we're not kidding. We couldn't. If you guys weren't listening, we'd be talking to ourselves. And really, who wants to hear that, right? So with our shout-outs around the way, it's time to do our birthdays. And for that, we go to our birthday song. It was not a Klingon song. No warp it wasn't, but it has special relevance for tonight. And when we do our birthdays, we always start off with the members of our Star Trek family that are no longer with us. And for that, we turn back to Eric. So, Eric, you want to start off with our remembrances, please? Yeah, absolutely. Our first remembrance this week goes out to Karen Landry who played the character Azur uh, in the TNG episode Captain's Holiday. That was a kind of a very interesting-looking alien race, uh, lots, of, lots of face wrinkles and um, some coloring on the side of their head. So very interesting episode, remembering Karen Landry this week. We're also remembering Clegg Hoyt, who played Transporter Chief Pitcairn in the TOS episode The Cage. Pretty sure some folks have heard of that episode and uh, can probably identify that character pretty easily. So happy birthday to Clegg Hoyt. 
We're also saying happy birthday and giving remembrances to Ted Knight this week, uh, who played a Vendorian in the TAS episode, The Survivor, one of those nice shape-shifting aliens. But also, uh, I just think that's, you think, well, okay, you know, some people have played these parts, but the part that you probably know this guy a little bit more for is Judge Smells in Caddyshack. Everybody can picture that. Oh, God, yeah. Right. I love that. One of my favorite movies. So funny, and what a great character for him. Uh, And I actually didn't even know until we went into the birthdays for this week that he had played a Vendorian on TAS. So um, happy birthday to Ted Knight. We're also uh, got some bigger ones here coming up. Uh, We've got a remembrance going out to uh, John Calicos, who was the original core uh, in TOS uh, episodes, Errand of Mercy. And then, of course, he played a later version of himself on DS9's Blood Oath. Um, and then he also played Baltar on Battlestar Galactica. So this guy has been yeah. around the way. Uh, and it's so fun to just think about how cool of an actor he was, how he got to play the same character in an early version of Star Trek and then on a later version of Star Trek. I just loved it when they brought those three back. Um, it was so fun to see them. And and he, I think, is one of the more charismatic ones. Um, great in both the original era and in the DS9 era. So happy birthday and remembrances to John Colicos. Now, um, I found out also something interesting yeah, about, about that, by the way. John Colicos yeah. was actually hired to play Core. He was going to be Kirk's arch nemesis. He was going to be the, the, the Klingon in Aaron of Mercy, Trouble with wow. Tribble, and Day of the Dove. And due to scheduling, they couldn't get him, so they recast him and ended up with Core Kang and Koloff, of course, which came back in Blood Oath, but it was originally going to be Core in all three of those Just episodes, one. so he would be an ongoing uh, Klingon nemesis for Kirk. And it just they weren't just able to work it out because of scheduling, so we got Core Kang and Koloff instead. Isn't that funny how things like hey, scheduling Kyle. can totally drive uh, what we see in the future, you know, 40, 50, 60 years later? <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah. I believe, I believe I read also that Core was the first Klingon in TLS. Yeah, he was. And Absolutely. the model, the beginning of the Klingon. Yep, you're absolutely right. So he set the mold. What a great guy to have had in the franchise, and he's he's sorely missed. We're also remembering this week Alexander Courage. You heard that name before, Jim? Who is that dude? <laughs> as a music, I've never as a music man. Yourself? Who is that guy? <laughs> Yeah, of course, that's a big one. Um, uh, the music man himself, you know, he's a composer, great things. We all are very familiar with his stuff. Um, so uh, happy birthday to Alexander Courage. Um, this is probably the biggest one this week. Um, and I can tell you that this particular individual was actually a huge influence on me as a child. He was a person I studied um, I knew everything about him. Uh, when I was growing up, it was the beginning of the space shuttle age, and so he was a little pre-space shuttle age, but, of course, one of the pioneers that that led us into space. Um, and if you go all the way back in his career, the first man to ever break the sound barrier, uh, Chuck Yeager. Um, 
he uh, he just died. I think he was 91, if I remember right. Um, and there is this great quote uh, it, th- from Star Trek V, Cybox says, they said the sound barrier could never be broken, but it was broken. And that's true. They said that it was a demon, that it was an invisible thing that could not be broken. And Chuck Yeager was the first human to ever do that. And I, I don't know, I kind of like to think that that is an attitude that we can take towards a lot of different things. If we're bold and we're not afraid of what's out there, um, we can accomplish great things. Um, Chuck Yeager has been kind of honored several times throughout Star Trek. Uh, Ash Tyler served aboard the USS Yeager, uh, which was one of the ships that we lost at the Battle of Binary Stars. Uh, so, uh, oh, no, he was 97. Gosh, not 91. So, yeah. Really, really missing him right now myself, um, feeling a very personal connection to his life, although, of course, I never met him. Um, but, uh, yeah, would you guys like to say anything about Chuck Yeager this week? Well, he's been he's been mentioned in Star Trek several times. The USS Yeager, which you guys can see in the Battle of Binary Stars, it's, it's the ship that looks like an X-Wing. It has four four warp engines in an X configuration. That's the USS Jaeger. Um, Wesley Crusher was at the Academy and they were trying to perform a Jaeger loop when they had their accident. Uh, Eric already said, Cyboth mentions um, the sound barrier. And Chuck Jaeger has been mentioned uh, several times uh, through the course of Star Trek. And generally, I don't put real live heroes in our remembrances, but because he literally just died on Tuesday and because he was such a hero to so many and he was so relevant to the, to the space program and, you know, his contributions that I, I broke my own rule and I included him. And not to mention that he's got a great last name too. Uh, a little different, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, but uh, I like his name. So yeah, I, I broke my rule and threw um, and put in Chuck Yeager. So um, we're sorry to see Chuck leave us. So there you have it. Yeah. So, Do you want to add anything, Charles? No, I'm good. But definitely All right. hero. Well, let's continue on. Well, let's continue on with the folks that are still with us, then, Charles. Okay, we got Gina Hex, who plays Mana Abgar in TNG's A Manner of Perspective. Fiona Flanagan played Julian Tanner in TNG's Inheritance. Anita Candor in DS9's Stack. And Valar in Enterprise's Fallen Hero. Terry Hatcher played Lieutenant Robinson in TNG as the outrageous Okana. He's had sure quite a few birthdays from that one lately. Yeah, that one keeps <laughs> popping up Lo- over and over and over again. Yeah. Over and over. Lauren Nolan played Duras in TOS episode Pattern of Force. And Rachel... Are Connolly by non and Discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what about... Yep. You've got a few to go 
Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, I've got some. Yeah. I was just going to say, non. What an exciting new addition to our Star Trek family, Rachel yeah. Antrill. She's so cool, and it's it's too bad she's gone already from the show. I'm really sad about that. I hope she comes back. Awesome. I hope we I see like her. Here. We might. Yeah, I, I she she's busy starring on a new show, so I don't. I other maybe a guest shot, maybe. But um, you know, it'd Fingers be nice. Crossed. She's not dead. Let's put it that way. She's not no. dead. She's still there. So wrapping up the birthdays, I got a couple of good ones um, here, but uh, we'll start yeah. off with uh, Leo, Leo, <laughs> Leon Runsom, who played the commander in chief and star uh, of Starfleet in Star Trek six. He's the guy that calls them all together and tells Captain Kirk. He's the first olive branch to meet with the Klingons. Happy birthday to Leon. Uh, Melissa Roxbridge, who played, Ensign Sill in Star Trek Beyond. She's the one that had the alien face hugger on her head, and Kirk hid the capsule in her head. That was her. Yep. Um, Hillary Shepard, who played Ensign Hoya in the Deep Space Nine episode, The Ship. Um, she was a Benzite. Um, and she played Lauren in Statistical Probabilities um, on Deep Space Nine. And uh, same character on Chrysalis on Deep Space Nine. She was uh, Dr. Bashir's love interest, the super intelligent woman, if you guys remember, who was uh, mm-hmm. yeah. his, his love interest in there. And best for last, of course, two really good ones. But oddly enough, they're brothers on Star Trek, not in real life, but in Star Trek they are. Um, the first guy who we're going to mention actually – played the Candyman. I believe they made three Candyman movies, uh, horror movies, and he was the main murderer, the Candyman himself, in those three movies. He's been in several other things, but I think most fans would know him as the Candyman. If you're a Star Trek fan, like hopefully you guys are because you're listening to our show, then you would know him as Worf's younger brother, Kern from Deep Space Nine and TNG. He meets a rather unenviable end on Deep Space Nine. They erase his memory and give him plastic surgery, and he becomes a completely different Klingon. Uh, doesn't even remember Worf or, or anything that happened to him, which is unfortunate. Great character. And, of course, the ultimate Klingon, the Klingon coup d'etat of Klingons, um, the man that got me into Star Trek from the beginning. Um, when I first saw him on the bridge, I was like, oh, my God, there's a Klingon on the bridge of the Enterprise. And uh, we're talking about Worf, of course, Michael Dorn. Uh, met him several times. Uh, actually had him as a guest star at one of my conventions that I ran in upstate New York. And a good friend of mine, Mark B. Lee, uh, ran the Michael Dorn Appreciation Organization um, fan club way back in the day, which of course I was one of the founding members of. I still have my MDAO t-shirt kicking around here somewhere, as does my wife, Karen. And uh, yeah, so happy birthday to Michael Dorn, uh, Mr. Worf, who of course he played his own grandfather in Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country. He was Colonel Worf. So I think I think I think he's I think Worf has been in more episodes of Star Trek and more movies than any existing character in Star Trek. I think 
That is true, and he's safe. also one of the yeah. he's also one of the only characters to play one of his own ancestors. Yeah, so he's he's a pretty big one. So happy birthday to Michael Dorn, and that wraps up our birthdays for this week. Uh, we're going to talk about the Mandalorian chapter fourteen, the tragedy. When we get back, our phone number here is six four six 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 eight two four three three. Please give us a call. We'll get you on the air live. We'll be with you for about the next hour and a half. So run, don't walk to the bathroom. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear this very quick but awesome message from our very own GM Chris. This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trek experts are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi related content. And we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433 on Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on East Coast Time. Hailing frequencies are always open and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith. You will call. And we're back and we do have faith that you'll call. We're going to be talking about the Mandalorian right now. So please, please, please run to your phone. Give us a call, 646-668-2433. And as always, to warm you guys up, here's the Mandalorian theme song. familiar. I think we might know this individual. Let's see. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hey, my name's David. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. David! I thought that was you. The number looked extremely <laughs> familiar. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, pretty Glad good. Glad to have you along um, for the ride. Yeah. So, did you watch The Mandalorian last week? I Yes, I did, actually. All right. Well, then, that's great because you can start us off. I'll set the story up for you guys. So, Mandalorian, uh, after hooking up with Ahsoka Tana last week, she tells him to take uh, Gorgu uh, to the Seeing Stone on planet XYZ in System QBK. And so, off he goes. And he finds the stone, and he puts Gorgo on top of the stone. Um, the stone lights up. Blue, sky, blue light goes into the sky. He goes into a trance. And you think everything is fine. Star Wars Mandalorian, it's nothing but fine. Uh, we see a ship come into, into the scene, and, of course, it's Slave One. But I wonder who's flying it. I don't know. Uh, Slave One lands. We get some, some action going on. And as if that's not enough, a Star Destroyer, uh, not not a Darth Vader Star Destroyer, a New Republic Star Destroyer um, shows up, Moff Gideon, and he sends down his legions of stormtroopers. They land on the planet, and they go after 
the child. And of course, Mandalorian and his newfound friends aren't going to stand for that. We have a massive battle, big shootout, lots of action. Some uh, dark troopers are dispatched at the end. And uh, then we get the tragedy. So there are some spoiler alerts that we're going to talk about here. So if you haven't seen it, please go watch it. If you, you know, if you have seen it, great. If you haven't, you've been warned. Don't send me hate mail that we ruined the episode for you. So, uh, David, why don't you start us off? What did you think about this episode? Well, that theme music that you played for The Mandalorian really reminded me of the old Superman movies. <laughs> Had kind of like a subtle Superman jump, uh, you know, uh, uh, vibe to it. So, <laughs> but um, I actually thought yeah, it was pretty tough. good. The um, the uh, um, the tragedy. I kind of actually expected that to happen, and for the title, <laughs> and since it's kind of yep. getting toward the end of the season got to have that last final um, cliffhanger. So, but yeah, I enjoyed it pretty well. I actually am happy that they got the actual clone of uh, the clone trooper guy who was uh, Boba Fett's uh, character to actually play the Boba Fett. And I'm not sure if he's the original character from way back in the 70s but it's just the idea of having that story plot mixed in with the Clone Wars I thought was really cool and yeah not the same guy from the 70s but but definitely the same guy who played Jango Fett exactly yes and the fact that his son was cloned Jeremy Mm -hmm. Bullock played um, the original Boba Fett and that was so long ago, I'm sure that George Lucas hadn't even thought up the clone thing or, or any of that stuff. He just needed a bounty hunter, Boba Fett, hired Jeremy Bullock. He played him, went to the Sarlacc pit. That was it. End of, end of story. That wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. So, yeah, it was, that was not the original guy. But you're absolutely right. That's the actor that, brought, that, that came back and played his father, Jango Fett, in, in uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars. But because he's a clone the young Boba Fett would grow up to look exactly like his father, Jango Fett. So they had the same actor play him, his son, play himself, mm-hmm. an older clone of himself, beat up now, whatever. But, you know, still recognizable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that guy's but name yeah, is um, Tamara Morrison. Tamara Morrison. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as far as uh, action goes, it was pretty action-packed. I actually enjoyed it. It was probably one of my favorite uh, episodes so far of The Mandalorian. I uh, actually had to rewatch it a couple times because it went by a little too fast for some of the sequences. But, yeah, it was just uh, it was pretty well done. So I want to say, I, I, you know what, Eric, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. Eric, did you want to say anything about this episode? Because I know there's a couple of things uh, I want to say, but I, I don't want to steal your thunder if you were going to say one of the things I was wanted to say. Well, I think that there's a lot to be said. I'm not sure what you were going to say, but there's a lot to really, really like about this episode. I mean, I think my – if I were to pick one kind of favorite part of this episode, I would say that the depiction of uh, Boba Fett was absolutely perfect. Um, you know – 
he he comes in, Mando kind of meets him. He is not aggressive, but he comes in at a position of power. He's got this sniper up on the on the rocks, you know, and uh, he comes to Mando knowing that that he can negotiate for what he wants to get, which is the Beskar armor. And I just love how that story has kind of weaved its way into the Mandalorian and how something that we saw him pick up, you know, a few episodes ago becomes such a plot point. And then not only that, not only do they bring Boba in for the episode, but they make Boba and one of Mando's former enemies part of a team that now owe him to help him go find the child. That that just is like that is some really cool like weaving of storylines together to to give us a story that gives us characters that we've seen I guess in the past but but not really I mean this Boba Fett is a different Boba Fett from the one that we've seen and let me tell you son when he starts kicking butt <laughs> it is pretty <laughs> awesome I agree with David this this episode is only like thirty minutes long which Jim may have something to say about but I will say probably 20 minutes of that 30 minutes is just straight up action. And it's good action too. It's not boring. It's like really cool shots. Um, I can't remember the character's name. What's the sniper's name? Her, her character. Oh, name. She's totally awesome. Yeah. She's totally awesome. Um, I love that they brought her back and that she's kind of got like some robotic parts now uh, because she was kind of rebuilt by Boba. Um, I don't know too much about dark troopers. They look pretty nasty. Um, they got away with the prize, so that seems bad. Um, they're Darth Vader Robocop. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to bring back another character. Um, what's his name? The sniper there uh, that, who's in prison now for 50 years. Um, I love that Manda went back to Cara Dune to talk to her about that. She's, of course, the marshal of uh, Navarro, the little town there now. So she's in a position of authority. I love that. Um, so, yeah, there, there was a whole lot to love about this episode. Moff Gideon, like, has an attitude to me, but so far I want more about this guy. Like, it's the one character, I will say, that has been – a repeat performer, right? He's been in many, many episodes. I still don't know a dang thing about this guy. Maybe this is just me always wanting to throw things like plot and story development into Star Wars, which I know is inappropriate, but <laughs> I want to know more about him. <laughs> well, so yeah, that's all I tell that Those are the main things I wanted to say about the episode. I think that um, what Charles had brought up earlier about the Hulk syndrome, uh, I felt was starting to creep into Star Wars. Um, when they keep having, when it seems like the Mandalorian is a guest star in his own show, that's when I get worried. Now, last week we had Ahsoka Tana, and uh, this week we had Boba Fett. But, but having said that, I think that Eric touched it, hit the nail right on the head. Yes, we had Boba Fett, but this is not the Boba Fett. Uh, this is not the Boba Fett that crashed into the Sarlacc pit and died. This is a Boba Fett we've never seen. We don't really know anything about this guy. He he has honor. He has a code. And uh, he's a very interesting character, and I'm glad they brought him back. I was worried about it. But they did it so well. And like Eric said, to bring him and pair him up with the Mandalorian and bring Fennec back, 
who was left for dead way back in season one. Uh, and now we have this unlikely team together. I think it's great. I think it's going to make for some great camaraderie and some great scenes. And we only have two episodes left. So I'm really happy with what they did and the action. Oh my God. You talk so about good. nonstop action. Um, and, and did you guys notice that there was a yellow clone trooper from the back <laughs> of the clones in there? Um, I was like, wow, where was, where has that guy been hiding out for the last 20 years? <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, and, cool. and I'm really wondering what the kind of repercussions of um, Grogu on the Magic Rock are, because, you know, he spent a good portion of this episode on the Magic Rock kind of shooting beams out into space. I got to believe that somebody saw that or picked up on it, whatever that was. I don't know if anybody, I don't know, David, are you into the extended universe and stuff at all? Do you know anything about that rock or this, anything deeper? Um not too much, but I do know that um, in the uh, what was it, Rebels, Star Wars Rebels. I don't know if that's part of the extended universe, but they mentioned something about um, how the Inquisitors were force sensitive and they could detect when um, certain force users could like uh, be active and stuff, and so they would go hunt them down. I don't know seeing Inquisitors later, but. That's going to be kind of something interesting to come across. Yeah, that would be interesting well, to to see them introduced into this show because right now Moff Gideon, I think, as a villain, maybe that's one of the things that's kind of setting me off about him is that he's he's got the Black Blade lightsaber, so he's obviously in a position of power, but he's just kind of like this bad guy. Like he doesn't he doesn't really seem to have any real I don't know authority. I guess I want to see who his boss is, maybe. Maybe that's what I'm longing for. Maybe that's what we'll see in the last two episodes here. Well, the rumors <laughs> flying around are that we're going to see Luke Skywalker. So, Because this is a part of Luke's life that's never been touched on. In fact, when Lucas gave them permission to write the, Timothy Zahn to write the, uh, the first Star Wars books, Hair to the Empire, he specifically said that they had to go 15 years after Return of the Jedi. So all the stuff that we're seeing on Mandalorian is, is kind of an unexplored part of the Star Wars universe. So we don't know where Luke has been or what Luke is doing or what he's up to. So if those rumors are true, then maybe we'll get a chance to catch up with Luke and see what he did before he started hanging out on that planet drinking blue fish milk there. So um, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, and I have one question I want though. to make be, uh, before I, I let Charles jump in here, before we steal all of Charles's thunder, there's just two points I wanted to make. First of all, um, it was sad to see the Razor Crest go. Oh, um, that was heartbreaking. It, it finally got he's, after he's rebuilt it, it so many times. It, it's finally up to 100%. Last week he shot down some TIE fighters and it was finally fixed and now it's toast. So sorry to see it go. Uh, and, and, and the bigger point I want to make is, with all the announcements of all the new Star Wars shows that are coming out, uh, which we don't have time to talk about yet, um, I just want to see them have more character-driven and more stories on Star Wars than just the pew-pew fight of the week. And I'm not knocking that. 
I'm just saying, you know, escapism is great, and that's what Star Wars always was to me, a popcorn movie, you know. But when you're going to do a weekly show like this, to me, and I think Eric is, is saying the same thing kind of indirectly, is that we need to see a story. There needs to be something there. We just can't have, you know, a Sakatana show up and Luke show up and the Mandalorian show up and Boba Fett show up and we have some really cool fights with some stormtroopers and some yellow clone troopers show up and some, you know, uh, dark troopers show up. And I, I mean, that's all great and that's wonderful and that's fun, but there needs to be substance there. And I, I want to see something come out of all of this. I want to see some backstory. I want to see some purpose. And if they do that, I'll be totally happy. If they don't, then I'm going to bitch. So, um, and you know, you know, Jim, it's kind of, it's interesting too that you mentioned that because when you think back, the only episodes that we've gotten that had kind of the A and B stories are the ones where they gave us a little bit of Mando's background, right? And, and they had kind of these jumps back of, of memory of him when he was a kid and when the droids found him and that kind of stuff. And so I think the show could use more of that. It could use more of the B story that kind of goes back and maybe explores some of these characters just a little bit more. I think it's great. They brought, in, uh, brought back Fennec from season one. I thought it was great that they brought in Boba Fett because even though Boba Fett is a character from Star Wars, he was only in the movie for, what, six minutes, and then he goes down the Sarlacc pit? I mean, we don't know anything about this guy. Really, we don't. You know, he was just a fleeting character that vanished. So, you know, bringing these characters in, bringing back Cara, uh, uh, Cara Dune and Apollo Creed and the Blue Fish guy, and to me, all these characters are creating – a world that Mandalorian lives in, and he needs that. He needs to have his own characters, his own motley crew, and they're doing that. And as long as they keep doing that and giving us these characters and giving us some background on them, like we learned that Boba Fett, uh, Jango Fett, was a foundling. I thought that was an interesting fact. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that if they, if they keep that up. And, my God, I now don't they know. Now they've just got a Boone and Jojo. Yeah, bring in Jar Jar. But uh, we've we got like to we give Charles an opportunity to to put his four cents in here. So, Charles, take it away. Uh, four cents? I think I'm down to one cent. Well, Jim, <laughs> Jim already jumped into my theory already. As I always say, the Incredible Hulk, uh, the Incredible Hulk syndrome. Finally, an episode that isn't. The Hulk syndrome. No, he is going in doing his own thing, trying to help the baby, the young Yoda, the young child, and the fact of having to defend himself over the issue and having to gain some help because of it. But that we're, we're finally able to see some of the child's power. We're finally getting to see a little bit of it, and when he's on that temple, he's strong, but he can't keep the power up, which is how he can get 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 himself captured. Definitely the sad point of losing the Ridgecrest. Oh, finally seeing that great ship, and it's like, the ship's gone. It's like, okay, we're going to have to replace that ship. 
but definitely seeing Slave One pop in, which means we've got some re some refocus on that one, which was good. We got a little bit of Jenga's story. I do agree. I think we need some good backstories. I think one of the series is coming up. Two of the shows coming up, I think we'll definitely, hopefully, give a little more backstory, which I think we deserve, which we're looking forward to. And it's a lot of fill in the holes, which we definitely are always talking about. For Eric and I, we love backstories. But this was definitely a much better episode because I think this wasn't focused on who we're going to save. This was focused more on the child. Not only backstories, Eric, of the armor, but also the weapon that he was able to recover from the damaged ship because the weapon was indestructible. Mm-hmm. Was a bit of a, of a B story also. So we're trying to tie in some of the, some of the parts story. We're trying to tie in, wrap everything up in a nice bow, which I think in several series that even Star Trek and Doctor Who does. I like that bit of a wrap-up. It's like, okay, we have this piece here. We're going to bring this piece back in. We're bringing other characters back in that we've talked about in the past. We're retying them back in the series. I do like the fact that they're re-bringing people back. We're not getting just brand-new people. Let's bring some old ones back and let you rediscover them. So I think they're going in the right direction. We're going to have to see what happens in this show, in the show. Or are we going to end up with a cliffhanger at the end of season two? We're going to have to wait and see. Probably. I have a question for you guys. What does Storm Stormtrooper armor actually do? Because <laughs> it gives <laughs> the the one the one thing I'll say is that it now gives a uniform look to Empire troops who are no longer clones. That's about the only thing it does, because it certainly does not stop any blaster bolts. Also, you, oh, you or, also notice in The Mandalorian, too, in the season one where they were taking their guns out and trying to shoot the can and kept missing. I think it's just yeah. really bad design. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it shatters. Did you guys notice that when Boba Fett was oh, swinging yeah. that, that uh, Tusken Raider Gappy stick that the stormtrooper armor was shattering. Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in his defense, <laughs> he was hitting them pretty hard. <laughs> There's a lot of force generated there. Yeah, but we I do have one question, Ewoks, Ewoks take them yeah. out with spears. And all them, then, yeah. I mean, what, what, what good is this armor? It protects them from nothing. Yeah. Do you guys, do yeah. you guys remember anything about... <laughs> so they don't get rain and about... they don't get cold. They don't you guys get remember cold, anything no. about the Clone Wars when uh, Palpatine captured that giant monster and he said that he wanted to get all his stormtroopers or all of his, uh, you know, his army to get refitted with that type of armor? Whatever happened to that story? I think they just kind of forgot about it. Okay. <laughs> I know the one you're talking about. Uh, but The yeah, Zillow monster or something. Yeah, the Zillow monster, right. 
Interesting. Uh, I just thought it was kind of weird how they like, because I, I thought stormtroopers were going to be like wearing best car armor or something. <laughs> did you? What did you guys? Did you guys notice? Uh, I don't know if it was a mistake. I don't know, but uh, Jango Fat or Boba Fat tells the Mandalorian that his father Jango Fett was a, was a foundling, and here's the genetic proof to prove it. While he's telling him that, he has his helmet off. So obviously this whole thing with foundlings not taking their helmets off isn't hmm. accurate because no. he takes his helmet off in front of the Mandalorian. So uh, Boba, when, when Bo-Katan says Boba, that on. it was just a religious thing, right? Well, Bo- well, it's true, except that, um, well, first of all, Boba is not a Mandalorian. His father was gifted the armor from the Mandalorian. So there's no, he says specifically in this episode that he holds to no creed. He bows to no man. So he's got the armor, but he doesn't follow the whole, like, don't take your helmet off rule. Um, I thought the Bo-Katan episode was really interesting because I always wondered, uh, once we learned that this Mandalorian had this creed about not taking his helmet off, I always wondered about Bo-Katan because I had remembered her previously very clearly taking her helmet off all the time. So I do think that we're looking at at least, not with Boba, but with Bo-Katan and with Mando, with at least, there's at least two different sects of Mandalorians here. There's kind of like the, what I guess I'll call the secular Mandalorians who are in charge of the government and who are like running the planet and stuff. And then I think the people who picked up Mando and kind of trained him were maybe the non-secular ones, you know, the more religious. I mean, he says in one of the very first episodes, I think it's the second episode uh, of season one where he's with Quill and they have to go back to get the parts of his ship back from the Jawas. He says that the weapon is literally part of his religion. And so he even refers to his own situation as a religion. So I think we're looking at probably at least two different groups of Mandalorians, one one kind of socio-political and one kind of like religious, um, you know, base. Yeah, like, I don't know. That's my thought. So, Eric, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you score this episode? How many Slave oh, Ones man. would you I, give it? <laughs> a slave One has always been my favorite ship ever since I was a little boy. So I really like this episode, guys. I I honestly don't think it was the strongest episode, but I have so much of myself kind of bunched up in Boba Fett and his return here that I'm just going to give this one a nine. I think it was honestly probably about a an eight, but I'm going to give it a nine because Boba means that much to me. How about you, Charles? I think I'll give it an eight. It's definitely going in the right direction. I want to see where they go with it. Eight. How about you, Dave? What do you think? I think I'm going to go in between and give it an 8.5. You know, you nailed it right on the head because that's exactly where I was heading, 8.5. I might creep that up to an 8.67, you know, 4.32 maybe. Um, (laughs) 8.675309. It's Boba. Boba. You can't deny Boba. Yeah, and and I liked (laughs) liked what they did with the character. I really did. Yeah, me too. I liked what they did. With, I was really worried about it, but they, they did it beautifully. Um, yeah. I mean, the, o- the only thing, I mean, the armor is a little bit different than, I mean, it's got hoses and tubes where there weren't any originally. 
Um, you know, the armor is a little bit different than, than it was in 1983, but that was 1983 and this is 2020, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you're going to, it's not going to be exactly the same. It but, certainly you know looks what? like it has like been the, eaten by a Sarlacc. I like the fact that he had little rockets on his kneecaps. Oh, Mando has them on his so wrist cool. and he had them on his kneecaps. I thought that was cool. Well, and there was that, there was that one line, too, where he uses the, the jetpack missile to take out those two ships. And he hits the one ship and it runs into the other one. And Mando's like, nice shot. And he's like, I was aiming for the other one. Yeah, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, and there's only two more episodes left. Only ten episodes. Yeah, um, I really so, think the cliffhanger is going to be Jar Jar. Stop or talking about Jar Jar. Darth Jar Jar. Darth Jar Jar. Actually, did you guys? Did what did you guys think of that uh, moment and when uh, they went to go see uh, uh, the little baby Yoda inside the jail cell and he's just throwing those two stormtroopers around? <laughs> Dude, that was, that was badass. Funny. Yeah, he was like he was so, a force choke and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> he was, he was. So listen, guys, uh, we still got to take our second break. Um, we're taking our quick <laughs> break here. So <laughs> run, don't walk to the bathroom. Don't touch that dial. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery Sanctuary right after we hear this important message from Jamie. Hi, this is Jamie from Check Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best sci-fi themed podcast. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and sci-fi themed content. Call 646-668-2433 Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Coast Time. We can't wait to hear from you. Live long and prosper. No, we can't wait to hear from you. And if you're a Star Trek fan, now's the time to chime in. 646-668-2433. We're talking about Sanctuary. Uh, I, think, I think of Logan's Run and Carousel when I hear Sanctuary. All the runners lighting their little red hands lighting up as they twirl around and they explode in the sky. Sanctuary. Okay, I'm showing my age again. Anyways, this had nothing to do with Logan's Run. This was Jonathan Frake's second episode. He's directed three, so uh, he's got another one coming up soon. But we're going to play the trailer for you guys just to warm you up, and then we're going to dive right in. This is where the burn started. So we have a point of origin. Something or someone is definitely sending it. Philippa? That's weird. Scientifically speaking. I'm about to do something that might get us both killed. Did you mean what you said? I want in. I can face anything. Sanctuary. So before we dive right in, we usually go around and we give our fan scores. If you'd like to have your fan score... Just head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. And you'll see a post, which I'm going to put up tomorrow. I put it up every Friday because Star Trek, even though we see it Thursday here in the States, a lot of other people don't see it until Friday. So tomorrow, 
I will post the, um, the ratings. And you'll see a post asking you, what do you think this episode scored on a scale of 1 to 10? And you can just tell us, and I'll pick out 15 lucky fans, and we'll read what you said about it right here live on the radio. So on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, what would you score this week's episode, Sanctuary? Eric, get us started with our fan sound offs. All right. Well, number one this week is from Alex Palmer, who gave it an 11. He went with the Spinal Tap version of rating systems. So (laughs) Alex (laughs) loved it. Um, Keith Sherman, one of our top fans, gave it a 10. Lou Panessa, also one of our top fans, also gave it a 10. Sher Mitterman gave it a 9. Earl Richardson, another one of our top fans, said, some of y'all are saying nines and tens, but compared to other episodes this season, maybe it's a six. And Karen Will Dunn gave it an eight. Charles, how about your group? I got Christopher Poison, who gave it a ten. Stephen John Cisco gave it an eight. Uh, Simon Fortin, I'm not sure if Steven or Simon was one of our top fans, but Simon gave it a nine. Marcelo Azervito gave it an eight. Gail Stoltz gave it an eight and a half. And Amar says, gave it a gym. What about your group? So we got, what? I can't, I can't read that. Is that I, Annika? Annika? It's Ilonka. Ilonka. Il- what, didn't we? That name sounds familiar. Ilonka yeah, Liska. Was actually one of our, she was one of our shout-outs at the top of the show. So she got double shout-outs this week. Oh, she got a double. Excellent. She was from Germany? I think. Uh, maybe. I'd have to look. Uh, yes, she was from Ulich yeah. in Germany. Yeah, cool. Uh, she gave it a six. Uh, Mike Merton gave it a six. Ray Ravel, who's one of our top fans, gave it a five. How come all my scores are low? This isn't right. Um, I don't know, Jim. You put the show notes together. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Adam Mitchell gave... Well, you know what it is. I start at the top, and you guys get the top, and then I get the ones at the bottom, so I guess the people that uh, like it the most... Yeah. There's been way too many nines and tens. I need to throw some fives and sixes in there. (laughs) Yeah. So um, Adam Mitchell gave it a 9.5. There we go. Uh, Marina Colmaner gave it a 9. And Cornelius James McAvoy, who is a top fan of ours, gave it a 10. He says, I have found season three has been a very spiritual experience for the crew of Discovery. Can't wait until episode 9. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. So, um, Charles, what was our overall fan score? Our overall fan score was an 8.27778, or we can round up an easy 8.3, which is still above episodes 1 and 3. It's still higher than episodes 1 and 3, 1, 3, and 4. But around average, it's also a lot higher than episode six, but still around where our votes have been. Most of our episodes have averaged around eight-ish, I think. Good. Cool. 
We've had a seven. Oh, we've I had have. a seven point seven, and we've had mm-hmm. a nine. We have had a couple of nines. Okay. Well, so this one's right, right there. Before we go any further, I have to warn you. Black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. Black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. That's right. So don't yell at me and say I didn't tell you because Will Wheaton just told you. So there you have it. Um, So I've got a lot of really – let's talk a little bit about this episode before – I'll save some sound bites. i got some really good sound bites from this particular episode. But let's start off with some of the the things that I noticed. Um, First of all, when uh, Osara was killing her nephew, who – Soren, was that his name? I think it was was Soren, wasn't it? I think it was like T-O, it was T-something, Tolo, I think. Yeah, that dude. When she was killing that Tolo. dude, and uh, just just as a reminder, here's, here's, here's a clip. You know, when I first took you in as a child, I was having complicated feelings about the death of your father. Well, you did what you had to do to keep control of the mercantile exchange. I always understood. Tolor, I know you did. You're so much like him. They'll mesmerize you and you won't feel a thing, I promise. What? Oh, don't be childish. This is why they call them trance worms. Please, Uncle Tyra, no. Well, that's what I call going to pieces. So um, that guy didn't make it. So, no. first of all, did you guys notice that Aunt Osira? had a, a Captain Picard communicator badge in her hand. Did anyone catch that? No. I did catch that. And I was very interested by that. Because what that particular that, badge... What does that mean? Yeah, that particular badge only shows up, as far as I can tell, in the preview for this week's episode, which I have not seen, but they played the preview on the ready room, so you got a good uh, kind of sneak peek into this week's episode. That badge shows up there, so I'm very curious about that. Yeah, what is the significance? I mean, Frake zooms in on her hand, specifically showing that badge. So uh, there has to be some relevance to it, or they wouldn't have put it on film like that. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely relevant, and Jim- I think. Jim, do you know the connection between that actress, Janet Kidder, and Superman? Oh, no, I don't. So that actress, Janet Kidder, who played Osira, is the daughter of Margot Kidder, Margaret Kidder, who played Lois Lane in the first four Superman movies. Oh, niece. I believe that's her niece, not her daughter. You're right. Yep. 
So there you go. So There's a familial connection. I, I do have a couple of questions, though, that I wanted some, some things I wanted to bring up because I've got some good clips that I want to talk about. And uh, But first of all, <clears throat> Calypso. i got to come back to Calypso. Ties to Calypso. So in Calypso, the Voyager, the Discovery, is floating in a nebula with Zora in charge of it. And it's the old discovery, pre-updates. And I think that's very relevant because when they get the message, when they find out when, when uh, Adira decodes the, 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 the transmission and says, that's a Federation uh, you know, beacon, there's a Federation ship calling for help in that nebula, is that the same nebula where Discovery is in Calypso? Does anybody know? We don't know because in Calypso they don't name the nebula. In Discovery they do, but in Calypso they don't tell you where Zora slash the Discovery is. So we don't know. So let me throw a little something out there. We know for a fact that Giorgio has to get back into the past to hang out with Ash Tyler to do Section 31. We know this. We've known now, this wait, hold for on. a while. Hold on, Jim. We don't know, but unless you know more than I do, we don't know that Section 31 takes place back in the 24th century, right? Or 23rd century. I don't think we know. You're right. That. We don't. I think We, we, we don't, yeah. but let's assume for a second that it does because Ash would have to get into the future. Well, that's a different issue altogether. Yeah. But at any rate, somehow someone has to go somewhere. <laughs> Either Ash comes here or she goes there. However, but but that's not the issue. The issue is, is it at all possible that the discovery itself causes the burn? Because yeah. the discovery we see in Calypso is not the... the um, the same up is not discovery a discovery and it's the blue one it's not the the copper one with all the fancy upgrades although it still has zora as the computer um so that discovery had to come from a different timeline in order to be there right like like a back to the future type of deal or it has to come from a different universe i'm very confused yeah yeah. So <laughs> something what so what Jim is saying is that assuming that the discovery that we meet in Calypso, which is in a nebula and has been told to wait in the nebula for a thousand years to just hold position, Jim's sort of assuming that the nebula that we're seeing in this last episode of Discovery is the same nebula and that the message from a Starfleet ship that we're hearing is actually from the discovery that we see in Calypso, which I do think uh, is, a, is a completely is a completely valid jump to make because it's it's pretty clear that we need that Calypso is the only short track that we haven't tied back into yet with discovery, and I think part of that stems from the fact that we don't exactly know when Calypso actually takes place. I think there were uh, some theories that it happens a thousand years after 
where discovery used to be, which is, I think, what most of our team has always assumed. I'm not sure. But then some people have said maybe it's a thousand years from now, the 32nd century, so into the 42nd century. I think there's a little bit of confusion as to where that Calypso discovery actually was, but you're 100% right, Jim. It is an unupgraded, non-A discovery. So I think it either has to come from a different time period or is it the mirror discovery? I do not know. Well, I, 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 I don't want to say anything because I already saw tonight's episode. So I don't yep. want to say anything at all. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there. But like, as we have a call on the line. <laughs> so on Yay. that note, we're going to go to the phone line. <laughs> awesome. Hey, good evening. <laughs> Thank you for calling Trek Talking and Beyond. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? It's Nate from Vegas. It's Vegas. Nate from Vegas. How you doing, Nate? From Vegas. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Good. Just getting back no, from uh, just getting back from a game of Marvel Crisis Protocol, which was the X Men versus the Brotherhood, um, in which the X Men me ended up defeating the Brotherhood, but it was a close match. Sounds so, good. Nate, what did you think about the um, about Mandalorian, the tragedy episode, the return of Boba Fett? Um, let's see. What did I think of that? Um, Scale of 1 to 10. Uh, I would give it well, – let's go with the – let's go with the 7. Okay. Cool. And – what exactly does Stormtrooper armor protect them from? Do you have any idea? No, we've been trying to figure that out since 1977. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but at any rate, it's great to have you along, Nate. Well, it's, so it's good I to be still, here. I still think that the the discovery that we see in Calypso has to be a different discovery. There's got to be some type of a time thing because time travel is outlawed. Uh, so we know that, but it, maybe it's a different, maybe it's a multi-universe thing. Uh, so what, what did you guys, what did you think about the fact that the, there was a time soldier wearing a TNG uniform from season one that came from the Kelvin universe movies? Now, that was on. an interesting that was in the pre- that was in the that was in the preview for this week's episode, not last week's episode. No, didn't Will Wheaton show that on on the ready room? He did as a preview for next week's episode. We right. showed that as so, a teaser for tonight today. Right. Yep. So that's, what did you that's, that's So tonight. what did you guys think about the fact that they they specifically mentioned that he was a temporal time traveler from the Kelvin universe. So that, that completely legitimizes the Kelvin universe, just like the mirror universe. So now the way I take that is Star Trek is now saying that there are multiple universes like the Marvel did with the infinity gauntlet, where there's up teen different universes all at the same time. That's the way I took well, it. They, they've always said that. I mean, you have the mirror universe in the sixties, and then you have all the enterprises in the episode, I believe, Parallels was what it was called, 
where you have really bearded Riker that uh, from the the universe where the Borg won. So there's always been multiple universes in Star Trek. Yeah, he had a bad hair day. I totally agree. And they and they are legitimizing it. And actually, I did think it was interesting. And just so everybody knows, so this is information that comes about tonight's episode, which was from the Ready Room from last week. So. yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. And, and the cool thing about it was that uh, not only did they mention a Romulan mining ship specifically, which, of course, references Star Trek 2009, but the uniform was not a Kelvin Universe uniform, and it was kind of between um, Season 1 and Season 2 TNG. I mean, it, it had the, that kind of extra stripe that, that happens around the shoulder line, in uh, season one and the beginning of season two for TNG, but then it had a later communicator badge, right? It was a little bit different. It was more like a DS9 communicator badge. So to me, that told me that that temporal agent, like he said that he came because of a temporal incursion by a Romulan mining ship, but he didn't say that he actually came from the Kelvin universe. So (laughs) I'm really interested if that guy came from Kelvin or if he actually came from a different universe. But yeah, I agree with Nate. Multiverse has been discussed multiple times in Star Trek. Yep. Are, are yep, you guys absolutely. starting to make ready room as mandatory watching in order to talk about stuff on this show now? No. no this is the first time actually Jim's brought it up, but it was a really good point and a kind of a fun point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I brought it up because Will Wheaton showed that particular clip on the, the ready room for tonight's episode, which I've already seen but I didn't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't. And I didn't feel that 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 ruined it because that particular clip was shown on the ready room last week. So I think most people have already seen that clip. I I did play the ready room. So this is all news to me. I, uh, I did play the spoiler alert by Will Wheaton at the beginning there. So no hate mail. All right. (laughs) I did warn you, but that was, but I just got home. So I wasn't there to hear that. (laughs) Oh, oh, you were you, you didn't hear it? You're kidding. You, you, did, you didn't hear it? Well, guess well, guess what? Here you go. Black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. It- there. Now you've heard it. Now I heard it, but it's too late now. <laughs> you spoiled it. <laughs> I, I spoiled it. No, that particular clip was shown on the Ready Room last week. And... Um, you know, just to let you guys know, if you haven't, that particular clip that they showed was the first, was the opening clip of tonight's episode. So you don't have to wait too long. If you're waiting to see that clip, just watch tonight's episode. You'll see it right. It's the first. It's right off the bat. It happens. So there you have it. Yeah, but that's anyway. where they do those. AJ, AJ, stop. God, AJ's here now. He's going to be ripping off my headset any minute now. But um, anyway, so that's where that clip came from, Nate. We were, we're not spoiling tonight's episode for anybody, but that particular clip was actually from last week's Ready Room. So that's why I didn't feel bad bringing it up. So that's why. But anyway, so, yeah, I think that they, they, they have some, some interesting things to do as far as the Calypso episode goes. 
and tying that into the discovery A. And uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But this this temporal accords thing is interesting because they introduced that during Enterprise. Now, here's the it's not a problem, but Enterprise coming out in 2005 takes place. Federation is even formed, so Enterprise takes place before TOS, before Discovery, before everything. The earliest view of the Star Trek world we have is Enterprise, and that's when the Temple Cold War starts. But it's never mentioned or brought up anywhere in any of the other shows until Deep Space Nine shows up with the, with the Board of Temporal Investigations. So this war has been going on for quite a long time, and the fact that this dude is wearing a TNG uniform means it was going on even during TNG. We just weren't aware of it. So it's a pretty important um, factor in the world of Star Trek, when you, if you think about it. And the fact that in the future they've outlawed time travel uh, means that when Daniels went back in time to Warren Archer, he was breaking the law. So it's kind of like Back to the Future, where there was multiple DeLoreans hanging out all over the place, and all you had to do was go out and find one. Except in this case, it's, it's the Discovery. There's multiple Discoveries hanging out. I'm so, anyway. curious whether or not if the Suliban will be shown in Discovery, because they were also a big part of that whole Enterprise time travel network. And that's when yeah, Jonathan Archer actually fell through to come back into his time through the uh, Helix. So I don't know. I'm going to see the Suliban make a comeback. And what about the Guardian of Forever? They've never, ever, ever, ever come back and mentioned that ever again. But they have this giant time portal that can show you anything and do anything, and yet they've never taken advantage of it or, or even mentioned it. I don't, I don't know. Anyways, guys, well, believe it or not, we have to take our yeah. final commercial break of the evening. For you guys at Odyssey Radio, you guys hang in there. But for the rest of you guys, um, we're going to hear a, a quick commercial break from my friend TJ over at Free Cobblers Geekery in Whitehall, New York. And when we come back, we're going to dive deep, 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 deep into sanctuary. So run, don't walk to the refrigerator. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this very brief yet very important commercial message. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont. The Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. We're talking about Star Trek Discovery Sanctuary. So if you'd like to get in on the conversation and join Nate, Dave, myself, Eric, and Charles, give us a call at 
646-668-2433. We'll be with you for, oh, about another 30 minutes or so. So the next clip I want to play for you guys um, and talk a little bit about is a clip entitled Hit It. And where are we on the uh, ongoing matter? So far, we have narrowed it down to to execute, hit it, and manifest. Manifest? Nobody likes that one. Hit it was Captain Pikes. Yeah, but you could put your own spin on it, like, hit it! I will take it under advisement. Oh, and um, Commander Stamets has uh, requested to report on their analysis of the Navarre data. He says they have something. Well, hit it then. Um... Right. So, Eric, what do you think Saru's uh, warp signature should be? Uh, Well, the best one that I have heard so far that I saw somebody mention on our page, and I gave them kudos for that, was something that he actually says already, which is, please proceed. I feel like that kind of fits with Saru's temperament and, uh, you know, is kind of polite, but uh, gives very clear direction. So I think it should be, please proceed. Yeah, he does say that. He does. And I I feel like it's the only natural thing that he's kind of said so far. I mean, I thought this part of this episode was kind of funny how they sort of brought in the idea that he should even come up with one of these things. (laughs) But, um, yeah, but yeah, please proceed. It feels like it matches. And it's an ongoing joke through the whole episode because every time that every time they go into warp, he says something different, and they all kind of look at him like, eh, I don't think so. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and if you and if you think about it, I mean, everybody kind of knows about Picard's engage, but um, even before that, remember that uh, we had. I mean, Kirk Kirk sort of said a few different things. He said engage. He said. Uh, a couple other things along the way, but we had people like Captain Styles from Search for Spock say execute, which always felt a little awkward to me, but it's, you know, Star Trek precedent. This is true. This is true. So anybody else want to, what, 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 anyone else want to put their two cents in on, on what Saru's uh, warp signature should be? Anybody have any thoughts on that before we move on? Light speed. Okay. <laughs> Prepare for ludicrous like speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Move me faster. So, one of the things about this episode that I really, really liked a lot is something we had heard about and something we talked about way, way back at the beginning when we thought they were talking about binars, because I'm really ignorant about this kind of stuff. And, um, this, I think, this is a clip that I've just called They and Them. The signal must include an encoded message of some kind. Uh, Adira can write an algorithm that can find and decode it. How long will that take? Not more than a few hours. She's pretty fast. Update me the moment you have something, Commander. Of course. They're fast. Hmm? Um, they... Not she. I've never felt like a she or or a her. So 
I would prefer they or them from now on. Okay. Um, and I've never told anyone but Gray. Addressed. Um, this is the, 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 the non-binary descriptions that we've heard about. I posted it on the Facebook page, and I was really surprised at the amount of Star Trek fans out there that were um, uh, hostile or I, I'm not towards that whole that whole thing, and we're you know calling it liberal you know political BS and whatnot. And Star Trek's never been political and all this other garbage. But I feel it's important because representation is something that I think Star Trek has always been at the forefront. Always, people forget that because we had Uhura who was a black woman in the '60s, and I know it's hard for some of the fans that are listening and watching Star Trek today to understand this, but back in the 60s, black Americans couldn't even vote, okay? Civil rights movement was in its full swing back then, so having Ahura on the bridge was a big, AJ, 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 stop, stop, was a big deal, a big deal. Throw a Russian in there, too, at the height of the Cold War, the, the, uh, the enemies of America, and he's on the bridge of the starship. So Star Trek was huge, big, big, when it comes to representation and different races and different cultures and things of that nature. So having a non-binary character on Star Trek um, that refers to herself, uh, refers to them, their selves, uh, him, itself, uh, calls Themself. herself, themselves, even, themselves, themselves, themselves as they, it's, it's, it sounds strange and it's something that we're not used to, but I really like, how Stamets approaches the situation and just accepts it and immediately, okay, they. And the look on Stamets' face and his reaction to her is, is, is priceless to me. I think it's a beautiful moment. And I think that all the fans out there that are watching that are non-binary or transgender have just felt like Star Trek just opened up the door and invited them all in. And I think that was a beautiful moment and, and I, I thought it was spectacular and that it was definitely worth talking about here for a minute. But what did you guys think about that? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in for anybody who is confused about this issue or kind of feels like it's new or, you know, some people feel a little trepidation about approaching things that they don't quite understand. Just look at it this way, folks. Um, you remember the golden rule that says, uh, do unto others as you would like to have done unto you. Well, think about that golden rule and, and flip it a little bit and say, you know, do unto others as they would like to be done to them. So if somebody else says to you, I would prefer to be referred to as them, you simply say, okay, just like Stamus did, and you move on. And you do your best. And that's not to say that you're not going to mess up and you're not going to say he or she when you really meant to say them. But the fact that you're actually taking the time to use the term that the person actually prefers 
not only makes you a better person because it makes you more observant and actually kind of like just makes you pay attention to what's going on, but it actually shows them more respect. It's saying to them, you know what? I validate your point of view. It doesn't make my point of view better than yours. You want to be called them? Then I will call you them. And I think that we're going to do this on this show here too, guys. We're, we're not always going to get it right. Um, I think the fact that they actually started the season here calling Adira she, and then the rest of the crew actually has to go through the same process with us of changing over to them, I think that's something that we can all kind of just, just sort of take to heart. Realize that the crew of the Discovery is going through the same thing as a lot of folks, and that's really no big deal. It's just about paying attention to what somebody else would like to have them, uh, you know, referred to as. That's my two cents on it. Yeah. I, I would like to Anybody add something else, else to that. Um, sure, the right. idea, uh, remember when uh, Quark uh, did an interview for Deep Space Nine role as Quark, he mentions about what people would call themselves or uh, him, yes, on the show would be referred to as the others. You know, the, uh, the other would just be a term for like them or they or something. So it's right. just, it's just another terminology for any kind of thing that we have to describe people as. So I don't know. It's just something I thought just now when I was thinking about the whole idea of when we see something different on TV, just like how Eric is mentioning. You know, it's just call them or that or whatever you want to call it to them and just move on, you know. It's just it's just a point of view, basically. So, yeah, I don't know. Something interesting. Yeah, it's just something that we have to get used to, something that's not normal for us to say. And I, I thought it was great the way they handled it on the show. Uh, Charles, yeah, anything you guys I'll, want to add anything in? Or do you... Yeah, I would I was going to add in there that reminds me we talk about some of the a few fans being hostile. Uh, remember summer before last when we had the gal in the Geordie style uniform wearing I believe it was a Prince of Habib. Yep. yep. And people were so upset saying, Oh, she's and it's like, No, you're not showing respect to her religion and her belief. And I think this is the same thing of, it's not a religion, but it is a cultural belief in that group, and if that's what they choose to be it, therefore let them be it. I think it's going to be something people saying, oh, we can't have that. We get a few, we get a generation down the line, and then maybe it's like, oh yeah, we're used to that by now. Time for the new, new, new way of seeing things. Just as having a gay character on Discovery. Right. What were you saying, Nate? Well, I was just going to let Charles know. I believe it's pronounced hijab is the headdress. Okay. Thank you. I wasn't sure of the pronunciation. <clears throat> Thank you. So. I do have another clip to play for you guys. 
uh, which goes right along with that last one. That's beautiful. I didn't know you played so well. I don't. I guess I do now. Um, Kasha is the one who learned to play. Madden Great picked it up. So now me. Mm. Uh, Gray's not talking to me anymore. And I don't know why. I can still feel him. Especially when I play. That's what's so weird. He's, he's here. All the time. It feels like he's hiding from me. Maybe Gray just needs some space? I know. It's not, it's not just him either. It's all of it. I'm waking up every day and I never know who I'm going to feel more. And sometimes it's Kasha, sometimes it's Tobar, or Gray, or sometimes it's just. Well, I'm out here with you. The algorithm will take a few more hours at least. Let's play. The key is G minor. Piece of cake. there's two reasons why I picked this clip. The first one is that I really am really getting into the relationship between Adira and Stannis. I think it's, it's one of the most wonderful touching relationships that we've seen on discovery in a while. And I'm also really, really liking this character of Adira because uh, they are so unsure of themselves and what, you know, dealing with a human with the trill and all the different memories and the boyfriend and being on the ship. And we're, we're getting to see, you know, a young person, a 16 year old, I believe that's the, what the age was dealing with all these things instead of just being a brilliant uh, individual like Wesley Crusher was, uh, we're seeing someone who's brilliant. Yes. But, but unsure and dealing with all these new things and, you know, making a friend with Stamets who, you know, I would have thought was one of the least likeliest people to be anybody's friend on the show when, when we first (laughs) meet him. But, but um, the relationship between him and Adira is really a a touching one for me. And and I think one of the highlights of the episode, Um, anybody want to add anything? Yeah. Well, I think we learned, we learned something interesting on ready room is the fact that the two of them, they formed a very interesting attachment to Colbert and Stamets' characters in real life, and that they were the older older people overlooking them and helping them. So I think it's interesting that they've got that attachment as the fact that they connected very well 
in real life because all four of them are playing some very unique characters to Discovery in the new world of Star Trek. And I think it really is a good showing the fact of having this integration in there and the caring that's going on. I think it really makes a good point. And the soft side of Star Trek, which we need to make sure we keep. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree, Charles. And I think one of the things that Star Trek is exploring right now that I, I think it's kind of like poked at it a little bit in the past. In T, I can think of times in TNG where, where this idea was poked at a little bit, but they're really deeply exploring the idea of found family, I think. Um, when you find support systems from people who are not people that you're related to. And I thought that they kind of doubled down on it a little bit in this episode. You're right, Jim. There's a beautiful relationship between Stamets and Adira forming. And I think that Stamets is kind of, he's definitely not a father figure, but he's definitely playing the role of kind of adult mentor right now. And the reason I say that they doubled down on it was that uh, in the scene uh, and there's a scene with Culber, uh, with Giorgio, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit, but he says in that scene, you know, if I had more time, I'd have kids. And actually there's this beautiful moment where, um, Adira falls asleep and they walk away. All right, wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 stop. There we go. Yeah, just wrapping up. Nothing more to do until their algorithm finishes. No, 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 let them sleep. At that age, whatever they can get is golden. Gray, stop speaking to them. Ouch. Yeah. But even so, their work has been nothing short of stellar. They're really something. They're also awake. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm going to sleep with this one back, Kel. Well, you've got to take better care of yourself. You don't need to fuss over them, Hugh. They're not a child. Technically, they are a child. Are we done for today? We are. Okay. Later, Jen. Good night. Right. It suits you. Is that your professional opinion? Board certified. There. Yeah. Continue, that's exactly. Eric. That's <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Jim. That was perfect timing. Yeah. So that's exactly what I'm talking about because in that moment, you actually see Culber recognize that Stamets has pride in Adira as they walk away. And to me, that's a very like parental slash. Uh, mentor type feeling, right? When you have pride in somebody who's younger that you have been able to kind of help direct in some way. So I really love that moment. I really love that kind of the Stamets-Adira relationship and then they're just boosting Colbert's role on the show too and I like how he's tying into Adira and, and Stamets' relationship. 
And uh, Charles brought this up. I, I, you guys may have noticed not a single clip that I played had Burnham in it. Not one. Mm-hmm. And that's yes, because I was going yep. uh, to uh, Charles was talking up. about this earlier. I was going to bring that up yep. because I was talking to Jim in chat about this. One thing I've seen fans talk about is, oh, these episodes are all so centered around Michael Burnham. Well, this episode was not centered around him. She was part of the action, but she wasn't the central character in these. We see a lot more where she's not the planet. We're more focused not on her, but book. We're getting a lot more where we're focusing on other characters. We got a lot more. We didn't get an A and a B story. I think we got an A, B, C, and D story in this episode. Because we got all kinds of plot points, and they weren't all—they weren't focused around her this time. Now, which I'm hoping Eric that fans appreciate. What did you think about Detmer taking Book's ship and uh, Star Wars styling attacking Asara's <laughs> ship? It was kind of like a Star Wars thing, um, oh you know, my God. blasting the ship. That was a. I was like. That was amazing. It was amazing. It was exactly the Millennium Falcon on the Death Star run. And I have to tell you that I am totally digging Detmer's character right now. I love that that there's that whole thing where she's hanging out with everybody afterwards and they're all talking about how macho she is. And it's like Top Gun, right? She's a fighter pilot. She just loves flying the ship. So love that scene. I was saying that um, in chat that I thought that Star Trek actually maybe took a little bit of a of a cue from Star Wars in that in that moment because if you remember the last big space battle that we saw was at the end of season two and that was I have my opinions about that space battle but it was a little weird with all the millions and billions of little drones and all that kind of stuff um, not a very exciting space battle in some ways. This whole like view of Book's ship as if it had a GoPro right in front of it as it's strafing the side of this big old cruiser, totally badass. I loved it so much. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Well, and I got one more clip that I want to play well, for you guys, well, and this is a special clip. Hold on, Jim. This is... I say want to tie. I want to tie into this this one. The thing is, one of the things we've had with her is that we've, she's always said she was off. We've had this back from the season, the uh, episode one, episode two, where our pilots just had something where she was a little bit off. And I think this might be the point that she finally gets that relief and we start to get her back. I think she's going to finally start coming back back because I think we're, I think we're tying in that story from the beginning. She kind of felt she was missing something. Something was wrong. I think this may help her out to bring her back. Totally. There is one sub. There is one plot that we didn't talk about because we're going to be talking about it a lot next week, and that's the Giorgio thing. It's touched a little bit on in this one, and, and, and it's talked a little bit about, but we're going to talk about it a lot next Thursday because tonight's two-part episode is nothing but Giorgio. So we'll save that for next week. But there's one more thing I wanted to mention about last week's episode. 
and that was the scene where Tilly gets to act with her real-life husband. I'm as valuable as the cat. Oh, knock it off with the whole fat Andorian thing. You're a friggin' hero. She'll be back, Osara. And it will be bad next time. Well, we can be pretty bad, too, so... You know, all I ever heard about when I was little was how deceitful the Federation was, how they turn on you. I mean, you want to scare an Andorian child, tell them they're going to Federation summer camp. That's not a thing. I need to tell you something. Something that will give you an advantage. They're running out of dilithium, the chain. That's why Osiris wants me back. I'm the only one who knows. And now you do too. Dun, 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 dun. So, that was Tilly's actual husband in real life, playing Wynn, the Andorian. Now, something that someone asked me um, on on our Facebook page, Andorian antenna will grow back. I remember an enterprise when when, uh, Archer's fighting Shran, he cuts off his antenna, which is the ultimate sign of dishonor for an Andorian to lose their antenna. And I, I think Shran said they take, what, nine months to grow back? I think he said. Six yeah, months. it's like six to nine months, something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, his antenna will eventually grow back. Someone had asked that. Maybe. I just wanted to. Maybe. Maybe. Now, yeah, that was also in the 22nd century. We're in the 26th century. I'm not sure how they've evolved. Yeah, I think it's it'll be interesting to see because Osira may have done something to his antenna to make them not grow back, to just, like, give the final insult. But theoretically, if all she did was cut them off, Canon says that they should grow back. But I'm, I also was kind of weirded out by the fact that uh, if you look at the ends of his antennas, they're a little bit reddish, like where they've been cut off, which I think makes sense if he had red blood, but I guess I always assumed that Andorians had blue blood because of their skin color, but that's just, I don't know. I don't remember Shran ever bleeding, so I can't remember if he had blue blood or not. Yeah, he, he had blue blood. Maybe she, maybe she cauterized them, yeah. cut them off with a lightsaber type Well, that's the thing, is the cauterization should uh, that was one little kind of like makeup thing that I wondered if they sort of missed, was that I don't think the bloody stumps of his antenna should be red. I think they should be like probably some sort of well, Maybe that's not color. blood. Maybe that's something yeah, maybe. else. Glue. Yeah, it could be something else. Yeah. You, there, maybe you know, it's the lithium. Yeah. I mentioned one other thing to Jim because Jim didn't talk about the main point of the episode tonight. But me personally, I would love to see a novel. I'm putting this on my wish list. I would love to see a novel explaining Book and his relationship with Planet. I would love to get a backstory with learning more about his, his race. And they're mm-hmm. they're telepathic, too. They're kind of like Betazoids. Yeah, they can talk to yeah. animals like Doctor Doolittle. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, so, I like uh, that in this episode how he says he just asks like those little 
creatures that he has to, like, he can't tell them what to do, but he has to ask, and then they have to agree. So that's a real empathic ability yeah. rather than a, a, a psychic ability or something. So uh, before we run out of time, guys, let's go around the room and, and get our fan reactions. And we'll start off with Dave. Dave, score one to ten. What would you give this episode, Sanctuary? Um, I don't think this episode was the best of the best. I had some interesting, uh, interesting uh, areas, but I'm, I'm only going to give this one a six. A six? Okay, cool. How about you, Nate? One to ten. Uh, I'm gonna stick. Uh, I think for the for both the series, uh, sevens for both series this week. A six and a seven. And how about you, Eric? Uh, you know, I feel like I want to give this a seven and a half, but then I really, really liked the scene that was like the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> So, I don't know. I'm going to kick it up to an eight. What the heck? <laughs> what do you think, Charles? Bring up the caboose here. Uh, I think I'm going to agree. I think they're, I think we got away from just being focused on Michael Burnham. We got a lot of character development in this one. I'll bump it even higher and give it an 8.2. Just under the And you know what? I'm right there. I'm right there with you guys. I'm right around an eight. I was thinking 7.5, 7.6, but I think an eight, I think an eight is going to be pretty, is going to be where I want to dump it. So that wraps up our show guys. We're out of time. So I want to say thank you to Nate for uh, hanging out and talking with us tonight. Thanks a lot, Nate. Yep. No problem. And uh, Dave, thanks for calling in and hanging out and truck talking with us as well. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, no problem. You're welcome. <laughs> and, of course, I couldn't do the show without my right-hand man, Eric. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight, Eric. I had a great time. Thank you so much, guys. And, of course, last but not least, i got to say thank you to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Charles. Oh, always love talking Star Trek and beyond. And, of course, thank you to each and every one of you guys listening around the globe. We couldn't do the show without you. Thank you very much to all of you. I wish I could name you all off, but with 24,000 of you guys, it would take too long. So thank you very much. I want to remind you guys to tune in on Sunday night at 7 o'clock for Stunt Treks with yours truly and the one and only Leslie Hoffman. Don't know what we're going to talk about tonight. We'll probably get Planet of the Apes in on the conversation. We always do. But you guys can tune in and uh, chat with me and Leslie on Sunday night. On Monday, we have an episode of Comet Corner. Uh, we're going to be talking about Deep Space Nine, Too Long a Sacrifice, the final uh, uh, book, book four, and uh, 16 and 17 of Star Trek Year Five, The Mud Chronicles. We're going to do them both in one, one show. So you guys can tune in Monday night at 730 for Comet Corner. We'll be back next Thursday where we're going to be talking about Terra Firma Part 1, which is the episode that's on tonight. So you guys can go and watch that tonight and then hang out with us next Thursday to talk about that episode. And uh, I think that's it. That wraps up the show. So I'm your Uncle Jim. Thank you very much for hanging out with us tonight. We really appreciate it. I'm going to leave you guys with the trailer for tonight's episode that we're going to talk about next week, Terra Firma. Thanks for listening. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night. Good night. Live long and prosper.
to us. I just have been crazy. Maybe we'll find something that can help you. The needs of the many must outweigh the needs of the one. Will you really be able to let her go when it comes down to it? Fight me! You want honor? It's out there. You knew this would happen to her? Our future is spotless. If this the cure, then it's my chance. And I'm taking it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.